Here, the father is reminding his son to seek wise counsel. Again, if the original son who received this anthology was Rehoboam, then there's some irony here because Rehoboam was brought down by foolish counsel. Solomon had wisely surrounded his son with qualified policy advisors. But as 1 Kings 12, 8 tells us, he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him, closed quote. He asked his foolish friends foolish questions, and lo and behold, he received foolish answers, and thus he lost a kingdom. There's a life lesson there for anyone with eyes to see it. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. People are not born wise. Wisdom is accumulated. And much of it is found in the counsel of older, wiser people. I'm not sure we pay enough attention to that reality in our modern culture, but it is something that the scriptures seek to remind us of on a regular basis. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 20. In the last several verses in chapter 19, we entered into a section dealing with fools and their proper punishment. We must remember that the original audience for this anthology was a royal son. And so the message here is that he, and by extension all leaders, must be aware of the damage that can be done by fools within any civil society. The leader must be able to recognize them and restrain them as appropriate. That theme continues to dominate the first third of chapter 20, whereupon the focus shifts to matters of speech, particularly within the world of business. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, all of the commentators that I consulted here associated this proverb with the topic of drunkenness, not with the question of whether or not it is a good idea to drink at all. Remember, we're in a section here dealing with fools and their punishment, and the drunkard is a particular type of fool. Now, as a child growing up in an independent Baptistic church, I often heard this verse cited as an argument for total abstinence, but I think that is to ask it to do too much. The focus is clearly on being mastered by wine and strong drink. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So Bruce Walke, for example, says here, the drunkard lacks consciousness and self-control and in dissolute madness breaks the bounds of sanctity, morality, and propriety, closed quote. Matthew Henry says basically the same thing, but he says it so well that it's worth repeating. He says, drunkenness which pretends to be a sociable thing, renders men unfit for society, for it makes them abusive with their tongues and outrageous in their passions, closed quote. Exactly right. In general, the wisdom literature in the Bible urges caution, not abstinence when it comes to alcohol. Moderate use is commended, but leaders in particular are urged to exercise severe restraint so as not to impair their judgment. I think parents and pastors would be wise to place their lines in similar places. Verse 2. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. 
Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. This proverb would be useful in different ways to both the primary and secondary audiences. The primary audience is the royal son himself. He would need to understand that his wrath is a terrible and frightful thing. He should keep his anger in check and only unleash it when necessary and appropriate. The secondary audience, of course, was the children of Israel in general. We spoke in the introductory episode about how this book was packaged in such a way as to serve as a sort of catechism for all covenant children. All of us need to know that authority is a fearful thing. It exists for a reason. We think of the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 4-5, saying that the king does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Close quote. People who perpetually war on authority as a way to build their street cred or show their courage only demonstrate their foolishness. And as the street proverb goes, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Poking the bear is a foolish way to build your brand. Verse 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Tremper Longman III is worth citing here at length. He says, Proverbs is a book that frequently advocates conflict avoidance. Often fights, even if based on a real offense, create more trouble than they are worth. The wise person lets things lie, while the stupid person doesn't hesitate to enter the fray, closed quote. I think pastors in particular in our day and age need to wrestle with this principle. Now, on the one hand, of course, we need to understand issues that affect our congregations, and we need to be able to offer guidance on those things. But on the other hand, it is a waste of time and credibility to wrestle in the streets with every passing person who holds a contrary point of view. So how do we know when to engage an issue and when to just let it pass by? Well, obviously that calls for wisdom, which is kind of the point here. The wise father is saying that there is nobility in remaining aloof from strife. The word literally means controversy or contention. So I don't think he's saying that we should avoid giving counsel on matters of significance. I think he's saying that we should avoid getting into fights and squabbles over matters of mere contention or controversy. There is controversy for controversy's sake, and there are people who fight because fighting is their brand. Avoid those people completely. As George Bernard Shaw said, never wrestle with a pig because you'll both get dirty and the pig likes it, closed quote. That's basically the idea here. Choose your battles and remember that one type of fool is the incessant fighter. The king must be wise enough not to answer every challenge to a duel, and so must the pastor, and so must every Christian who wants to exercise any kind of leadership in the public square. Verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. There's value in gathering all of these proverbs about work and laziness together into a group, and we'll look to do that at some point in the future. For now, we just note the general pattern as expressed here again. Laziness leads to hunger. Work hard at something that matters, and you should have something to eat. Verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. 
Derek Kidner suggests that the meaning of this somewhat obscure proverb is that a discerning person can bring to light the deepest intentions of another, closed quote. A wise person will listen and will ask probing questions and over time should become very skilled at reading other people. And that's a helpful ability for a leader to have. Verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. A good leader does not take people at their word. Everyone says that they're a faithful and true person, but of course not everyone proves to be so. Talk is cheap, as the common idiom says. Therefore, a wise leader will take the approach suggested by Ronald Reagan near the close of the Cold War. Namely, he or she will trust, but verify. Given a little bit of responsibility and opportunity, people will show you pretty quickly who they are. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that when you find a truly faithful person, a a servant, an employee, a companion, whatever, you should do everything you can to hold on to that person because such people, metaphorically speaking, are worth their weight in gold. Verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Here the wise father seems to be reflecting upon the truth that he's just shared. Faithful people whose integrity can be trusted are so rare that you should reward and bless every one of them that you find. Your kingdom will benefit from their prosperity. Verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. This is both a picture and an imperative. The wise father is saying to the royal son that a good king is constantly engaged in the business of weeding out evil from his kingdom. You want to water the good seeds and you want to pull up the bad weeds. That's leadership in a nutshell. When you see someone doing good, reward that person. Give them a promotion or a bonus. Incentivize right behavior. And then conversely, punish tax and censure bad behavior. Make it expensive, cumbersome, difficult, and even deadly to do that which is wicked. If you do that work, then your kingdom, like a garden, is going to flourish under your care. And by the way, this is a good picture of how Jesus, the ultimate king, will operate at the end of the age. In Matthew 13, 40-43, Jesus says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Closed quote. Verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin. Kings above all people need to be self-aware. Just because you're in charge and making all the decisions doesn't mean that you're free from the taint and stain of sin. The more power you have, the more important it is for you to remember that. Verse 10. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. We've seen this before. Just Sell a good product at a fair price. Any attempt to deceive or defraud is hateful to God. Verse 11. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. 
The point here seems to be that all fallen human beings practice a certain measure of deceit. They all present themselves as more virtuous than they are. Even children do that. So the wise leader discounts words in favor of evaluating actions. As we've already said, talk is cheap, and good leaders know that. In verse 12, we enter into a section dealing with speech and business. The king in those days was also a man of commerce and exercised considerable influence over the economy. And as such, he needed to know how the economy worked, and he needed to have some skill in the art of the deal. Verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. A great deal of wisdom, whether exercised in the home, the court, or the marketplace, depends upon observation and listening. And here we're being reminded that both are ultimately a gift from God. Therefore, whatever kind of leader you are, whether you're a parent, whether you're a leader of a business, whether you're the leader of a church, whether you're a political leader, whatever kind of leader you are, pray and ask God for wisdom. Ask God to help you hear what you need to hear and see what you need to see so as to understand and so as to govern effectively. Verse 13, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. In English, we have a couple of proverbs that make the same point. We say, the early bird gets the worm and make hay while the sun shines. The wise businessman or businesswoman knows that you have to be up, you have to be early, and you have to be ready to work hard if you want to make a living. That was true in Solomon's day, and that remains true today. Verse 14, bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. Here, the wise father is reminding his son that you can't take anyone's word for anything when it comes to buying and selling goods. The salesman will tell you that it is good when it is bad, and the buyer will pretend that it's bad when it's actually good. The point is, you have to figure these things out for yourself. Take a test drive before you buy a car. Look under the hood. The more you know about the product you are buying or selling, the better you will make out on the deal. Verse 15, there is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. This verse builds upon the principle we were just discussing. Knowledge is the most valuable commodity in business. That's the idea here. The more you know about your product, their product, and the process for getting both to market, the more money you're going to make at the end of the day. Knowledge is power and knowledge is profit. So learn as much as you can, as fast as you can. Verse 16, take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. In this verse, the wise father is telling the royal son to show no mercy to anyone who has lost his shirt by foolishly loaning or securing loans to people he didn't know. What in the world did he expect would happen? Bad loans undermine the stability of a society. If you take responsibility for those loans, you will encourage further negligence and folly. Don't do it. The contemporary application here is more to governments than it is to individuals. There's a reminder here that being harsh with some people is actually a kindness to the community as a whole. What you forgive, politically speaking, is what you encourage. If you bail out risky investors, then you encourage risky investing. Therefore, leaders need to be wise and resolved. Verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, 
but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. There are no shortcuts to financial stability. Ill-gotten gain is usually sweet to the taste, but it sours quickly in the stomach. So make your money honestly, and you'll be able to enjoy it enduringly. That's the idea here. Verse 18. Plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, wage war. Here, the father is reminding his son to seek wise counsel. Again, if the original son who received this anthology was Rehoboam, then there's some irony here because Rehoboam was brought down by foolish counsel. Solomon had wisely surrounded his son with qualified policy advisors. But as 1 Kings 12.8 tells us, he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him, closed quote. He asked his foolish friends foolish questions, and lo and behold, he received foolish answers, and thus he lost a kingdom. There's a life lesson there for anyone with eyes to see it. Verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. During World War II, the government was constantly reminding sailors that loose lips sink ships. Your wife or your mom doesn't need to know exactly where you are or what you're doing. Be careful how much detail you share because you could be putting yourself and your shipmates in danger. Every leader needs to understand the power and the danger of information. In verse 20, we enter into a section dealing with justice. Bruce Walke gives all of verses 20 to 28 the somewhat cumbersome title, Trusting the Lord to Avenge Wrongs Through His Wise King. That's a bit of a mouthful, but it does seem to accurately represent the content of this unit. Verse 20. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. We've encountered Proverbs like this already. Cursing your father or your mother was a big deal in ancient Israel. According to Exodus 21.17, it was punishable by death. And of course, it would be the responsibility of the king to ensure that sentence was carried out. A person who hates his parents will certainly grow up to hate all forms of authority, and therefore, for the sake of the security of the kingdom, the lamp of such a person must be put out in utter darkness. Verse 21. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Easy money never endures. If you inherit money early in life before you've learned wisdom, you will almost certainly squander it quickly. Giving an inheritance to a novice is like pouring money down the drain. This is why they invented legal trusts and trustees, because it takes some time and some training before you're ready to steward any quantity of wealth. Verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Revenge is a fool's game. Confucius is credited with saying, He who seeks revenge digs two graves. Closed quote. The job of the king is justice, not revenge. And the job of the Christian is faithful endurance, not revenge. Which is why the Apostle Paul, in Romans 12, 19, citing this proverb, says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And by the way, that gives us a sense of how these proverbs ought to be applied. Paul was in no way deterred by the fact that these proverbs were originally written for a royal son. We're all royal sons, in a sense. So 
Paul was aware of the immediate context, but he felt perfectly comfortable extracting the underlying principle and applying it in a general sense in his own day. Revenge is a fool's game. If that's true for kings, how much more is it true for each of us? Far better to leave it to the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. We've seen this kind of proverb many times already, but it does fit rather nicely here. This is a section highlighting the need for the king to enforce justice, and that means imposing some regulation on the marketplace. Make it costly and even dangerous for merchants to defraud their customers in your kingdom. That will help your citizens and that will improve your economy because people spend more when they trust what they're getting. Verse 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Again, this is similar to the teaching introduced in chapter 16, verse 1 and 9. All plans must be made with an awareness that God is sovereign over and active in every single aspect of the world. So by all means plan, just remember to accommodate for providence. Verse 25, it is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making bows. Verse 25 follows sensibly after verse 24. The concern in verse 24 was to account for the overriding nature of God's providence. Here, the concern is to recall God's fearful holiness. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When one recalls that, one is careful not to vow rashly. Rash vows create personal and social chaos. See, for example, the story of Jephthah in Judges 11. God listens to every word we speak. That's not just an Old Testament concern. Jesus in Matthew 12 said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Close quote. So put a hand over your mouth before you speak about holy things. Verse 26. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. Some see this as the theme verse for the subunit. It is the job of the king to weed out wicked people so that the righteous can flourish. Verse 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. The basic idea here is clear, even if some of the wordplay is lost to us when we make the translation. The wise father is simply saying that God knows us inside and out. Our spirit comes from him. It is, in some sense, of him. So the creator is not merely watching on. He is searching within. He's probing us. He knows us. And therefore, it is not just careless words we must be concerned about. It is ultimately what goes on in our heart. Verse 28, steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. Verse 27 would be terrifying if not for verse 28. Here the royal son is being reminded that it is ultimately God's covenant commitment to the king that upholds and ensures the kingdom. Of course, as the story of Rehoboam clearly indicates, whether or not Rehoboam is the son in question, God's commitment to the king doesn't mean that he or his subjects will be exempt from difficulties. God chastises the one he loves. Covenant commitment sometimes implies more discipline, not less. But it does ensure that the discipline we experience 
will be toward the end of righteousness and fidelity and not toward the end of our destruction. Thanks be to God. In verse 29, we enter an extended section stretching through to the end of the next chapter having to do with righteousness and justice. Verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Young men are strong, but old men are wise. And the whole point of Proverbs is that wisdom is better. The implication is that young men, the royal son in particular, should aspire to wisdom. But they should know that wisdom is generally achieved by enduring discipline. Blows that wound cleanse away evil, and strokes make clean the innermost parts. Wisdom is being able to look back in your life, seeing all those ups and downs, seeing all those good times and bad times, remembering all the discipline and correction, and being able to say truly and from the heart, thanks be to God. Pastor Paul, I find it interesting that Proverbs 20 ends by sounding two notes that our culture has more or less abandoned entirely, the need to respect older voices and the need to embrace wisdom and correction. Yeah. At, at times, the book of Proverbs really does sound like wisdom from another world. Yeah, or at least a lost world. I, I remember a time when we used to value those things. I mean, when I was a kid, there was still a sense in which we all knew that we should respect our teachers and listen to older and more experienced people, that whole respect your elders thing. But that seems to be a thing of the past now. Now it's the 21-year-old YouTuber or TikTok star that has all the influence in our culture. How did we get here, and how can we get back to the wisdom that is being advocated for here? Well, I think we got here by getting swept up into the whole cultural movement of expressive individualism, the idea that we all need to create our identity and then express it. So the movement in our culture is from inside me to outside me, whereas in previous generations, there was much more of an emphasis on hearing and receiving counsel from outside. Hmm. Well, I'm praying for a return to that because... I think we've been sharing a little too much of what's going on inside, <laughs> and I think it would be wise to receive a little bit more wisdom from those who have gone on before us. A culture that refuses to learn from the past has little hope of safely and productively navigating the future. Yeah, amen to that. Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. As always, if you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 